Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about ministry and vocation here in Portland, Oregon. And a podcast where we have fun. Why would you do that? Come on. Why 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 I ruin interrupt I had, things, I had such a such a good run here. I've never gotten the intro in one take before. You just It was a just, little fast, David. It's fine. No, we're we're keeping all this. This is part of it. Yep. Uh I'm David. And I am Josh. <laughs> and today we've got a very special guest, uh, a friend of Josh's and and someone I've uh run into only a handful of times so far, right? Yeah, once yeah. at the hospital, if I recall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, someone... Oh, did somebody have a baby? Someone someone tried to fall off a mountain <sighs> and uh, and live through it. That's what. Um, yeah, that's my objective, you know? So my my mission in life is to bring people together. And so if even if it's at the hospital because of... You're the worst kind accident. of person. <laughs> well, and I feel for his wife because Josh creates these problems right. like, Lauren, I just invited 20 people over. It's we don't true. have enough food for this. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, you, or you almost die and then you try and make it into this great thing that you did for everyone. Yeah, so... You're just the worst. Anyway. So David Ranabarger. David Ranabarger. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, gentlemen. <laughs> so who is David Ranabarger? I'm me. You're you. <laughs> the one and only... There's a lot Thank of ways you. to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, a little more specific. Uh... Yeah, where do you come from? How did you get a... You, where do you come you, from? Where do you go? Let, let's start here. You work, <laughs> you work with youth. Yeah. Uh, how did yeah. you, uh, you feel uh, called into that? How did you get involved with uh, working with youth? Sure. Involved? So I uh, graduated high school in 07, went to college at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Um, I grew up kind of in the Wesleyan tribe as a kid and got a cross-country and track scholarship was one of the lures to go out there. And during my time there, since the call to ministry, got involved with the church I was going to at the time um, and working with youth, kind of in an interim intern sort of capacity. And this was rural Oklahoma, right? So town of like 700 people. And we didn't really have to do anything. And kids would just come out of the woodwork and just show up. And right. That was, that was really sweet. <laughs> it's, yeah, fun. You- it's fun in those rural towns because they like you do a youth thing. I had a friend who was in Mill City and it was the same thing. Like uh, 50, 60 kids would show up for a movie night or a youth group night and you're like, how is this happening? Well, when nothing else is going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And part of it too, the small town had about four or five five other churches and just not a lot going on. So um, our lead pastor at the time also was coaching um, on the football team. And so he had a lot of connections with students. And so... Yeah, it was really fun. Just really cool, cool moments out there. Um, but I'm originally from here, here as in Oregon. You mentioned Mill City. I know where that's at, along Highway 22. <laughs> yeah. Because I grew up in Staten, which is a small oh, town. Oh, nice. Yeah. Along right Highway 22. Um, and so I felt called just coming back to this region, being the Northwest, Portland, um, just happened to be the city that one of our Wesleyan churches was looking to hire a youth pastor on. This is back in 2011 when I graduated. And so um, came out with this grandiose um, vision of like, let's take over the city of Portland for Jesus. Um, Definitely a bit of misguided zeal, but I think honorable passion nonetheless. Um, But it was different hopping into an urban environment in an urban setting. Yeah, we. so that was when, David, you and I got really connected was that first year, 2011, 2012. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd we'd known each other. Um, I had known you but more from a distance. Um, there's a little bit of an age difference. And so um, that definitely kind of came into play. But yeah, you came onto the scene. Um, you're definitely, you started ministering more deep into Northeast. 
um, almost Gresham area. But there was definitely camaraderie, you know, like we were both part of the Wesleyan clan. Um, and so we started hanging out together. And I remember that first year, we had a lot of conversations, a lot of foundational conversations, you know, that, dang, is it seven years later? Yeah, here uh, we are. Yeah. You got three kids. I got a kid now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and life like life happens and you know like you've gone through a couple of different senior pastors and the the church has kind of shifted and changed a lot and even your your role now has shifted and changed quite a bit um but i remember those early days you did like you were hot headed you're like yeah i'm going to we're going to we're going to win this city for for christ you know and mm-hmm. and and we're going to have you know the the bombiest youth group um, or whatever the the cool word was um, and and you were it like you, David. What's what strikes me about like you are the quintessential youth pastor, and people nationally like. And we had these conversations too. Like there were people on a national level who were, they were scouting you out. Like they were wanting you, and people contacted the college, and the college is like, yeah, you got to talk to this guy named David Ranabarger. You know, like he's a DJ. He like he he just does everything. Right, you know, he's got the cool beard and he's got the cool hairdo and he's young and he's full of energy. Um, I mean, you were you were it. And the pastor at, at Columbia View at the time, like it, I I think that was I mean, that was some of the things that inspired that, you know, that that invite. I'm like, wow, we, we gotta get David, you know. And me sitting across the city too, I'm like, oh yeah, I I wish we could get David. Um, you know, like I wish we could bring him over here. And so there's there's something about that, definitely in, in in the early age. And I think you still actually have a lot of those same um those same strengths that should make and that does you know, make that kind of perfect youth pastor guy. Mm-hmm. Um so for for what it's worth, you look like and you act like the perfect youth pastor. Perfect, you got a great facade on, man. It's working, it's fooling everybody. <laughs> so I guess that leads to uh, a good question then, because um, you have you have people who look to uh, those in leadership and think that that's the guy or that's the girl, and like. I could never be that, or I could never live up to that. Um, I don't want you to just like throw out all the all the hardships or all the weaknesses or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, like things can't be as great as Josh was just listing here, right? It's true. <laughs> they were for a month, weren't they? <laughs> just talk to my wife. It's not all that great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's um let's focus on call a little bit. You said you said you were called and I find one of the one of the most fun conversations, the most interesting conversations is people being called to ministry because we find a lot of people will uh feel like God's moving them toward this type of ministry or this vocation mm-hmm. and some folks are all in and a lot are uh hesitant or just want nothing to do with it uh what what was your call like what was that experience like Mm -hmm. for you yeah there's a couple of moments one goes all the way back to when i was in high school at youth camp and was in a a skit on our team 
it's funny now, like co-directing a youth camp, you know, looking back being like, man, I hated those. <laughs> Why do we still do these? Right? Um, and, uh, I played the part of a preacher in that. And I remember we did, did our skit. I sat down and then, um, one of the, the youth leaders just kind of made a tongue in cheek joke about like, man, if only we had some preaching like that in our pulpits today, man, we see revival and just a total like footnote in the annals of anything. Right. And yet that was a moment that for me, I just had the kind of this overwhelming sense of like, oh my gosh, like, I think maybe God is calling me to that. And that scares the bejeebers out of me. And so I immediately like was like, nope, nope, it's got to be just the pizza I ate last night. Like, <laughs> no, that's definitely not me. I definitely don't have my life together. There's no way I can do that sort of thing. I don't even want to do that. Like talk in front of people once a week for a living. Like, Right? Who does for, that? Anyway? For no money? Yeah. 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 And they don't even really make any money. Like, So, so call, nothing, call nothing. sometimes feels like indigestion is what you're saying. Yeah. You well, you got to discern. Is this indigestion or is this right. you know, the it, Holy Spirit? Well, because <laughs> a call can, I mean, to be real here, those, those like deep, powerful moments from God can just feel like something in your stomach. And yep. so... It, sometimes you, you got to sleep on it for a while. Yep. Yep. So that was one moment. The next moment was when I was at Oklahoma Wesleyan my freshman year. Um, I was working in the sound booth. I would help with, um, you know, just doing the mix for the, the chapel services and stuff. And I remember as a guy named Chris Conrad, which at the time was director of church planting or something like that. And he was talking about, I don't even know what he was talking about because I wasn't even really paying attention. Like, because you were in the sound booth. I'm in the sound booth, and I was probably on Facebook or something, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but there was there was a moment where you start talking about like the need for pastors and church planners, and it was like in that moment that all of a sudden God just really grabbed my attention, and it was a real similar experience to what I'd had a couple of years prior at the youth camp. Um, but in this moment, I was in this larger season of really surrendering my will and my life to God, you know, the, the whole, who's going to be in charge of your life conversation. Mm -hmm. And so there's already been that going on for several months. And I was just like, all right, God, like this, again, this totally freaks me out. I have no real desire to do this per se, but if this is what you would want me to do, like, I guess I'm, I'm willing to go that route. Um, and so that was the real defining moment where I even went to my advisor and had that conversation, um, talked to several of my pastors and mentors just to get some feedback. Like, am I totally like off course on this or, or do, could you potentially see this working for me going into ministry and received a lot of affirmation in those places. Um, and so as I just kind of went through these checks of mentors, word, prayer, uh, my academic advisor just started to get into that ministry track and take classes. Nice. Nice. Um, I, fi I find it so interesting how our, our call often comes from things people say and so rarely is it a direct powerful moment, especially on the, on the side of the person who's leading us. Like I remember the, the definitive moment for me that I remember uh, when I first felt like God might be leading me to ministry was also at camp, but like a Five minutes before I was leaving camp, some counselors just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and were like, "You should, you should go into ministry." And you know, of course, I blew it off. Um, yep. And and you have a guy who said, "Oh man, if uh, if more 
preachers could preach like this. He doesn't remember saying that. Probably not. He doesn't remember <laughs> saying that. He didn't mean to say it. That's a little throwaway yeah. line that someone says. The the person, unless yeah. you went to him in the chapel service, doesn't remember you know, saying what he said. And those are yeah. the moments that yeah. that hang with us. And what I find interesting and what I'm finding interesting doing this podcast is um, we often, I think, as Christians get down on ourselves for how little we're able to contribute Amen. or do for God. Yep. And yet it's, it's the moments that don't matter that mm. affect and impact other people. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. how much time do we spend like preparing our sermon, preparing our life group conversation, you know, and then we'll get done with that and feel like, man, I totally bombed yeah. that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know what I said. Um, but then you'll have people years later, and I've had this happen a couple of times, um, you know, a student write me a letter and saying, hey, uh, remember this conversation? It had this huge impact on my life. And I'm like, dude, I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't have any record. I remember you, kind of, but I don't remember the conversation. Glad it had a profound impact on your life. That's awesome. (laughs) So, David, how how have things changed since that initial call that you had, or Mm -hmm. you know, even since that affirmation, that first year of college? Mm -hmm. um, What what has been that that journey of? Of, of of then changing your your sure. your degree and then like sure. saying okay I'm gonna go full board and then you show up to Portland you yeah. know after graduating and you're like all right I'm gonna change the the city in this way um, and in the expectations I think it's fair to say you know expectations have changed and shifted and those original expectations haven't necessarily been met or fulfilled and so maybe what were some of those early expectations what were some of those experiences that have kind of changed and have shaped you into who you are now? Right. I think when I initially started off um, at Columbia View here in Portland, um, I had a paradigm of success being bigger, better, more, um, just the traditional metrics, right? Like, okay, if we start with a youth group of 10 or 12 kids, like that's going to be my core. We're going to start there. We're going to invest in them. We're going to partner with parents, get parents on board. I had this this vision of having like um, even like training environments where, where parents and kids can come together and we can talk about faith, talk about culture, um, even had vision of like working with other churches in a collaborative sense and doing that. Um, and again, just bigger and better, right? So once we did that, then we moved to the next level. Um, then we'd launch something in the schools. We'd partner with like Youth for Christ and, and all these other organizations. Um, and then that just kind of didn't happen. Um, I mean, you tried. Yeah, I you think worked I to tried. that. You, I mean, Did you had. I remember those early years. Like you had strategies laid out, mm-hmm. and they were. I like. I received word documents that you would send me. Like, yep. hey, what do you think, what of, do you this? think of this? Like, that looks like right. a really great, awesome idea. Idea. Good <laughs> luck with that. Yeah, tell me how that goes. <laughs> well, kind of the the running joke now with my lead pastor um, is is. I'm the spreadsheet guy, right? So you yeah. have have some ministry, have some plan, you get some structure to it. You know, we joke around about that. Um, but yeah, that just didn't didn't happen. Um, back then, we were a church of eighty ish, ninety ish, and it was new to me to be in an environment in, in a place mm. where there was kids and then parents like weren't really involved in their lives. Um, the vast majority of my youth group at that time when I started out, um, and even through the years, the trend was. 
you know, here's here's kid who comes to youth group, will come to church maybe, um, and then parents maybe go to a different church. Uh, we had a handful that did go to to our church and were very involved in their kids' lives. Definitely don't want to leave them out. But the vast majority of my experience was um, parents just not involved in the, the faith of their child. And I don't want to say that, you know, as a bash of parents. I want to say it as an affirmation of the kid, yeah. that the only thing that was yeah. driving these kids to come to church, to come to youth group, to be involved in any sort of faith conversation was them, like they wanted it. Um, but then the challenges with that, you know, I remember, man, just getting kids to show up was like an act of Congress, getting them there. You know, they're deep in Southeast, throughout across the river in Vancouver. I mean, I remember there was a time where we had around 20 kids and I had 12 schools represented. Whoa. Like, how do you create solidarity <laughs> with that? You know, there's so much diversity and, and different experiences and context that these kids were coming from. Um Creating community was was tricky. It was challenging. Right. So. And for you, coming from uh, Staten, yeah. how, how many schools are in Staten? So in Staten, um, you have Staten There's High School. Staten. You have Regis <laughs> High School, which is the Catholic high school that I actually went to. Um, and that's that's it. There's a Christian school, but at that time, they didn't even have a, a grades 9 through 12 track. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then in Oklahoma, where I was at, ministering in Copan, Look it up on online. Um, there's Copan High School, <laughs> K through 12. You know, <laughs> go Hornets. <Yeah. laughs> um, and that was that was it. So, yeah. So this is a new, um, wildly different kind of ministry mm-hmm. where you have to, um, uh, you, you almost have to bring them in to create community. A lot of times, yep. uh, you hear. With with some people who are writing books now, they say, "Well, you gotta, you've got to focus community outside of your church and and focus not on the bring them in model." Sure. Um, but with you, it sounds like it's the opposite. In order sure. to make community, everyone's so spread out that yep. you need a place for them to congregate, and that's yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, it's fascinating. You, you allude to it. In the past several years, there's been this conversation shift of attractional versus missional. Come and see, come and see versus the go and do, and I do find that with the demographic of of young people I work with, there's this craving for belonging, this craving for community, um, and so yeah, the the strategy has been you know like let's create places where you can come, be accepted, mm. um, and then be challenged to discover this God who made you and who loves you and who wants to change your life and make you all of who He wants you to be. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's almost as if like attractional is how you be missional for you. Whereas, yeah. whereas we have, I mean, there's a couple of Catholic high schools, but uh, the majority of students in maybe not most of our youth ministries, but a lot are at Roosevelt. So you, you can focus some of your ministry at one target here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different in your area. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what kinds of, Maybe not, maybe not wins or losses necessarily, but what kinds of uh, shifts have you had to do in the past? What? How long have you been there? Seven years. Seven years. That's yeah. a great question. Um, my roles really kind of changed, like like the weather out here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of done a little bit of everything. Um, so. My first four years under my first lead pastor, um, my title was youth pastor. So if I had lines, as it were, it was working with youth. Um, at that time, I was part-time. I was even driving school bus for Portland Public School District. 
Um, just trying to make it. Going to seminary at the time, working on my MDiv. Since like every youth leader I know of began doing youth ministry and driving school bus, uh-huh. that just must be the thing you have to do, huh? I guess that's the thing, you know? It, the schedule really worked well. You drive your AM shift, you know, it's like six to nine. And then I had from basically nine to one that midday to work on seminary stuff or to work on ministry stuff your afternoon shift, the one to, to five-ish window, and then evenings, you either had you know, youth group or meeting with, with a kid for dinner or sure. you know, trying to have somewhat of a social life sort of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, or going to sports games or whatever. Yeah, also, um, yeah, I was also um, in, that, in that time assistant coaching at Centennial That's High right. School with the, the cross-country right. team. So okay. sprinkle that in and wow. try to have some sort of romantic life in there too, you know. Right, um, which <laughs> was definitely work. non-existent at that time. <laughs> oh no, it's easy. You you have like uh, between six oh three and six oh seven. Yeah, you you can you can have a date there. Uh, so so you were you were doing that at the time, and then and then things have changed. How I totally interrupted that. Yeah, no, it's perfect. <laughs> um, so new lead pastor come on. Church went through just a lot of transition. Um, I describe our our church at that point kind of like a tightly wound ball. And uh, when the, the previous pastor left, it was kind of like the little snip and everything just kind of kind of come unglued. Um, mm. People left for good reasons. People left for maybe not so good reasons. Um, but we went from a church of around 100 down to like 25, 30, I remember. Um, and so in light of that, like this, these lines of youth pastor just don't fit anymore because like the kids just aren't there anymore, you know? Right. Um, so now my, my title is, is assistant pastor, and so I oversee worship. Um, I lead a couple different life groups, with our, which are intergenerational. We have old people all the way down to teenagers, which is kind of our new model, as it were, for youth ministry. Um, and shoot, dude, I mean, you do what you got to do. I'm crawling around in the crawl space, you know, running um, snake cables and stuff. Um, it's just a little bit of everything. I preach on a, a five-week rotation. Mm-hmm. So David, you're somebody. I mean, you have seven years there, which is an eternity a, for a youth pastor, yeah. <laughs> or even yeah. for a pastor too. You right. know, um, and the one of the themes in 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 our podcast that has come up is is that steadfastness. It's that faithfulness. It's not about it's not about achieving kind of fame or fortune or or kind of drawing a crowd, but it's about that obedience and that faithfulness. Um, and that's what wins in, in the long haul. Well, you, you, you have that. I think it's fair to say, I think anybody would say, you know, seven years in ministry in this, in the same kind of spot, um, is definitely being, being faithful. Um, so in that you, you've put in, you've put in your time, but you you still don't have a large booming youth group or mm-hmm. really quite frankly you know a large booming kind of ministry or mm-hmm. like it it's still somewhat kind of maybe small and mm-hmm. maybe you know mundane in some sense you know it's very probably ordinary it's very kind of people based and in in conversations with you i mean you definitely have a huge impact in different people's lives but it comes in different ways. It's not on the big stage um, as as might fit kind of that traditional youth model or, you know, with you, you bring a lot of charisma and you bring a lot of energy, you know, and um, and I've, I've seen kind of a, 
a shift in that. And so in that, have you, uh, like how, how has that affected you, I guess, maybe psychologically or spiritually, mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- has there been a peace? Has there been a struggle? Um, has there been bouts of, of like failure? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, I think, um, every, every human being, first of all, but maybe even particularly, you know, the pastor type person has to, to acknowledge and wrestle with, with the idea of, um, is my life making a difference? Like, does what I do really matter? And, um, there's definitely been, been moments and even as of recently, to be completely honest, where that question has come up and I wrestled with that. Um, and for me personally, it's been a, a great journey just in my own faith of kind of coming to terms with what, what is my life going to be about? Um, cause you're right. I mean, I've, I've had opportunities to go pursue other, other churches, other ministries. Um, and for me, every time one of those come up and I, I go to the Lord, I'm like, all right, like, am I done here? Do I pursue this? Is that okay? Um, there were some moments where I, I definitely felt a, a no from God. There's some moments where I definitely felt a, a yup, like you can stay or you can go. It doesn't really matter sort of thing. And I think the the bottom line has come down to um, to me coming to a place of like I just want to um, be used by God wherever I'm at. And for me, the city of Portland um, is just where that's taken place. You know, my wife she grew up as a missionary kid in in Honduras, and she has a real heart for um, for missions, for travel, for overseas. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if that'll be in the the future at some point. Um, but for now, it's definitely been this journey of just dying to self and being, being okay with, um, with things not working. There was Mm -hmm. about a year ago, I was up at, uh, um, the hideaway cabin up in Lake Merwin area. Uh, My wife and I just doing a personal retreat and I was reading, reading some Nowen, some Henry Nowen, don't remember which book it was. Um, but in that God brought me to this realization that I was just becoming increasingly bitter, increasingly angry, increasingly mm-hmm. cynical. There's a lot of negative, negative emotions and negative reactions. And the thing that God started to point out to me is, David, you're you're becoming, you know, all these negative things because of how people are responding. And you can't control people, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can't control who comes to your life group. You can't control who come, shows up to Sunday. You can't control, you know, which, which youth group, you know, opts in for this missions trip you're leading. You know, you, you can't control any of that. All you can control is you and how you respond to these things. And that for me launched, uh, a new, a new journey of learning to just let go of people. Mm. And, and I phrase it this way and say, learning to hold tenaciously, to the heart of God, and yet loosely to how people respond to him. Holding tenaciously to the heart of God and holding loosely to how people respond to him. Because I was becoming so depressed and cynical over, you know, oh man, all these people I invested in and they've, they've you know, walked away and, um, and you get so caught up in that. But, but to realize that like all I can do is be the mailman, deliver the message, love people, be present with them. Um, and how they respond to, to God or respond to me is is their deal. 
And I've been experiencing a lot of freedom in that um, and not an excuse for freedom to be lazy and, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I don't need yeah. to put in all the hours to prepare a plan. Like still work at it, dude. Like work at it hard. Your work is not in vain, Paul would say. Um, don't get weary in doing good. But then at the same time to have this almost this release of of kind of what comes out of that. I don't know if that makes sense, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, it totally does. It totally does. Um, yeah, man, it's it's so easy to get um, to get frustrated or or burned out or or increasingly negative when um, when you'll keep you'll keep bringing the message and pounding it home, and and people seem to not want it or fall away or or. Um, or move on for whatever circumstances is mm-hmm. it's frustrating. And yet you find also on the flip side that sometimes it, it takes a while for, <laughs> for your, your message or your outreach or something to, to get in, you know, really, really sink in and take a hold of them. Sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't. And they, and they walk away and, um, and that's hard at the time, but remembering to trust in the God who's who's working in people's lives, um, mm-hmm. rather than you know your own your own push is is mm-hmm. is so difficult and yet so needed. Um, what's a time if you can think of one that um, or or more maybe that you. Um, you thought something in the work you were doing or, or your vocation or whatever was extremely negative or didn't go well. And then, you know, looking, looking forward as, as you went on, um, that failure led to something better. Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, do you have a time like that or a situation like that you think of? Um, yeah, I kind of think my whole seven years, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Everything? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah Again, right. part of it goes back to, you know, you ha- you're this visionary type of person, which I kind of pride myself in being, and you have a picture of how things are supposed to go or ought to yeah, go. Yeah. And you give everything you got, and you do the planning, and you, and you pull the people together, and you build your team. You're like, all right, let's go, guys. And then... <laughs> It, oh, you got sick and you didn't show up and you got a flat tire and you couldn't make it and, you know, your parents got a divorce and now, you know, it's just like, it just seemed like at every point things are just kind of crumbling. Yeah. But then to answer your question, what good has come out of that? I see good mm. coming out of tons and tons of quarters and caveats and it's not in ways that, that you expect. Um, one of them, I'll just, just give you a quick synopsis. We did a as a church, we partnered with Child Evangelism Fellowship back in, I think it was 2014, the summer of 2014, they targeted Portland. And uh, we were one of those churches that did some um, good news clubs in the community. And there was these um, two sisters that we met, and they were at that time in middle school. And uh, so we did this big outreach, and then once it was all done, um, like we had, oh my goodness, guys, we had that year, we had like 30 salvations, you know, as it were, you know, 30, we had conversations with people who said, you know, I've, I've accepted Christ There's a profession of faith. Um, but then like they just disappeared. It was crazy. We did everything we could to follow up. We did the, the conversations, the phone calls, um, trying to set up meetings. And it's just like, 
we were just gone. It was the craziest thing. And so here we are sitting in kind of the aftermath of putting 110% into this outreach and like, shoot, where did, where did everybody go, man? But then there was these two sisters and like to this day, like we have ongoing ministry with them and they're fixing to graduate high school now. And I mean, kind of their story is a whole other caveat, but seeing them respond to the Lord, seeing them say, we're going to commit to a faith community because we need to be part of that. Um, it's been totally worth it. It's been totally worth it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, so tell us then you, you said before you had no time for a romantic life. And then in that time, you met a girl and got married. Like how, right. how have you done? Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually interested in this because basically what happened, you know, yeah, right. Happened. A few details, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I started, uh, dating my wife when I was a uh, youth minister too. And, um, it was, it was an interesting situation. She'd never, you know, come to our church or whatever, but mm-hmm. we start dating. And then like, she, she starts saying like, do, should I, should I start, coming to where you go instead of my church should i get involved like there were there were a lot of questions um sure. what what was the situation like for you because you were like in it full-time sure uh ministry like what what was the the dating situation i was playing like? the drums david she had a thing for drummers i guess i don't know ah <laughs> not not many people do <laughs> Just kidding. See, well, here, here's, here's the struggle, man. You know, at that time, I was like 24, 25, and um, man, when there's a... You're your prime. Yeah, getting old. <laughs> I'm training for this half marathon, and like my knees are just, they're not working. But anyway, um, yeah. you look out in the congregation, and you see a young gal, you got to first ask, okay, is she like old enough to be in my youth group, right? <laughs> just talking real right now. This is the struggle of the young single youth pastor. And so once we establish, okay, you have a bachelor's degree, let's talk, (laughs) right? So um, in one way or another, I sort of invited myself out to breakfast with her family. Um, She was at the time living in Indiana. Wasn't it with her grandparents and her grandparents? Like, you're like, how did you, like, they didn't want you to be there or something, you know? Yeah, basically. We were in the foyer and we're there just making small talk or whatever. And then I... In my head, I'm like, dude, I got to invite this family out to breakfast. <laughs> and so I go, hey, do you have any, any breakfast plans or like lunch plans? And um, grandma was like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, it was good talking to you. We'll see you later. And just kind of like shut down the conversation. I was like, shoot, well, I tried. Um, and when you talk to my wife, it'd be fun to have her here. She, she heard that question as, oh, here's this pastor that's closing up shop. Like he's got lunch plans. He's asking if we got lunch plans. So we'll like get out of his building, right? He's trying to lock it up. And, um, Oh no way. She read that totally wrong. Huh? Yeah. She read that as go away. <laughs> and here I'm just trying to get your number, but anyway, Oh, that's hilarious. I had another, another opportunity. She come back the next week. Um, and this is her last week and she's flying back to Indiana. She was living there at the time. Her sister is living in Honduras at the time, teaching at a school. Her brother's in Texas. So anyway, really spread out, and they're all in Portland because a lot of their family lives in Portland, right? So they're there for – this is the Christmas season, I should add. And uh, I make it out to breakfast finally with them, and um, we exchange emails. You know, keep it professional. You know, maybe there's some room for – That's how my wife and I started. Some partnerships or whatever, and we start emailing back and forth. And then there was one point about a month later – 
where she asked me about kind of my, my call to ministry and you know how I got involved in that and she's real interested. And I said, you know, via email, it's like, I'd love to share that story with you, but I don't feel like I can capture that in an email. But if I had your number and could call you, I'd be more than willing to have that conversation with you. And so that's how I got her phone number. It's nice. nice. <laughs> that's smooth. And then didn't you ask her to uh, chaperone a spring Yeah, so spring then break? about two months after that, um, our, our student ministries partners with a couple other groups, and we go to a, a camp, Christian camp on the beach, and we do some service projects. And so I needed a female leader, and so I asked her, I was like, hey, would you be willing to you know be my chaperone for that? And she thought about it and talked to her parents, and she's like, hey, like he wants me to come out and like, be a chaperone. Like, should I do that? And they're like, um, yeah, sure, go for it, whatever. And so she came out, and that's when we started dating. Um, it was after a hard right, day of working. You, uh, was it at the – oh, no, that was the engagement where you took her to the, hosp- the, the hospital, the airport. Yeah, the <laughs> hospital was when she gave birth. Yeah, right. that was not for the engagement. Um, yeah, you chose right there. Um, yeah. Tell us the airport story. What is this? So we <laughs> – so you started it back up. So she yeah, <laughs> did the did the mission trip thing with with my kids. We start dating then. Fast forward another four months. Now we're into summer. Um, I led a, a church planning mission trip up to Polsbo, Washington, where we have a Wesleyan church plant taking place, and invited her to come be part of that. And so she did. And then the very last day of our trip, I'm basically taking her back to the airport. Um, the previous day, I called her parents and said, hey, can I marry your daughter? And they said, yeah. And um, talked to my parents. Had, this had all the green lights, you right? You talked to me, too. Yeah, Josh, Josh. <laughs> yeah. As much as I hate to admit it, I really cared about what he thought. I, yep, yep. And all the relationship. All the, all the checks and all the you know, green lights and stuff. And so then um, drove her up to Rocky Butte that night and asked her to marry me. She said yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I took her to the airport and sent her back to Indiana. <laughs> cool. Bye. <laughs> Basically. Uh, that's great. And so now you're, uh, you're, you're entering a whole new phase of ministry, which is ministry with a uh, one-month-old. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. How's, that, uh, how's that changing things? Did you, did you stop for a while, or are you just still... I have a great lead pastor. He totally gets just the dynamic of, of being the pastor, being the dad and that sort of thing. And so um, he's been real, real flexible and letting me like make sure my core things are getting done, but work from home, dude. Like don't show up to the office, like <laughs> be there with your wife, be there with your daughter. So, and then come hang out with us. And then, yeah, drive across the city and have coffee and talk to some cool guys. Yeah, yeah, I felt a little bad about that. Actually, just to um, throw you under the bus, Josh, uh, we, we <laughs> um, I, got, first time? I got an email uh, just over a month ago saying, uh, hey, we, we need to have Ranabarger on the podcast. And I, I thought, great, wonderful. And then he writes back and he says, he did just have a baby this weekend. <laughs> I, I didn't know this. Um, it's that he just had a baby this weekend, but that's no excuse. So uh, <laughs> no big deal. Uh, he, he was actually shooting for that week, and I said, "Let's let's wait." <laughs> well, the the joke between Josh and me has been we have these accounts, right? And so when he did his remodel on his house and the addition, like I I I pride myself in saying I helped him a lot on that. And so the Josh owes Dave account got really big. Oh, <laughs> you 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 two are bankers with each other, like whoever. Totally. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I've been slowly paying that back. 
<laughs> and then I like I don't know, like I'll pay it back and then I'll get more in debt, you know. Like Nice. Uh, nice. Um it'll so, all work out. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um so tell us uh what what God's been leading you through lately or um uh what you've been learning or um what what he has you looking toward for the future. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I think a big thing of what God is teaching me now is slowing down. Yeah. Mm. And that's just by virtue of having a one-month-old. Right. Like, I'm used to popping out of bed. I'm ready in five minutes. I'm out the door. Now it's I get up and, oh, here's a diaper to change. And, oh, my <laughs> wife is pumping right now, so I need to hold my daughter. And, oh, she just spit spit up on me and, and all this and that. And so learning to, like, slow down and learning that that's okay, you know, and realizing that they're – is great value in, mm. in just being present with my family. Um, I find it very rewarding, very mm. fulfilling that God has blessed me with an amazing wife. I got off better than I deserve, gentlemen. I'll tell you what, she is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, if we're and, honest um, with ourselves, I think we would all <laughs> say that. And then my beautiful little daughter. And so learning just to like be there sitting on the couch holding her and like that being you know, success and that being valuable. Um, that's what she needs right now. She needs people to take care of her. And when she's crying, figure out, I have a list of things that can be, right? We all had those list of things and you work through it. Sometimes she still cries. And I just give her to my wife. I'm like, here you go. I don't know what to do. Um, right. So that's a big piece. And the other one too, I think is um, just journeying with where people are at. Um, I had mm-hmm. I had the tendency to have again this huge vision of where we need to be as a church, as a congregation, mm-hmm. as as individuals that I'm discipling and investing in, and realizing that that transformation and growth is it's a slow process, um, and it's slow for me. You know, if I were to look in retrospect of how God has been working in my life, it's like man, how much I must have frustrated God. And like how slow it took me to learn some of these lessons and cooperate. I need to be that that same way with with people. Um, and so I've been just loving, loving, loving. We've launched our new life groups. And like I mentioned, they're intergenerational. We have old, old people, young people. And I've just been really loving just the the diversity of seasons of life where people are at coming together Um to crack open the word, to talk about it. You know, how does this relate to a high schooler and then to a retired person, you know, and that whole spectrum in between and where people are at and the challenges they're facing, just being with them and, and helping them walk through those things in life. Right. It's, yeah. So something I was struck with actually today, this morning, I was doing some reflection and often we will... We will hire, not just in the church, but outside the church, we will hire for a position. So, David, like you were hired right. as, as a youth pastor. You're like, hey, we want you to come and we want you to you build a youth group and to grow a youth group. And you, you are going to be the pastor for these these teenagers. Over the course of the seven years, that has changed, that has shifted. Mm-hmm. And and now, like, you are hired for, for you and for what right. you can bring to the table, you know. And... Um, and I, th- I think often in just in life in general, like we can we can often look into relationships for what we can kind of get out of it. Mm-hmm. Or I need to build a youth ministry or I need I need to the, the church is supposed to have, you know, a children's ministry. So let's go find somebody who can do children rather than saying, hey, 
what do we have? Who do we have? Yep. Um, and say, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to invest in in you. And right. and it, it's the the long haul. It's the slow the slow bit to say, man, you know, like I'm not going to budget a 50 minute hour. That kind of that's a kind mm-hmm. of a, a counselor counselors therapist hours like 50 minute hour so that I can get to my my yep. next kind of patient or client. But hey, let's go out. It's going to be open ended yep. and. It's just gonna be what what it is, and and I'm gonna kind of love you and and pour into your life, and um, and then you're gonna probably go. You'll disappoint me and others, and <laughs> and somebody else will come in too. You know, like right. there's, but it, it's not this. Our our objective is not to build this thing. It's not to accumulate. It's not to draw a crowd, um, but it is to be kind of obedient with those people. Whether they be our one month old, our mm-hmm. wife, yep. um, our brother or sister, whether they they be you know our our grandparent or our neighbor, whatever age they are, um, like God is God places people in our lives to, mm-hmm. you know, in order for us to kind of give uh, to to love and to and to pour into, and so you know, mm-hmm. are we caught up with kind of creating this? thing that we're supposed to some of the language we use at our church is making sure that round pegs are not in square holes so this idea of based on the person that we're working with what are their their skill sets their abilities or passions and then putting them in a role crafting creating a role as it were that fits where they're at um and i can think of people in our church you know we have one guy who Reading is a real hard thing for him. And so um, when he's working on our tech team and setting up like our sound stuff, like pictures work great, you know? So like in that scenario, like I'm not going to give you a a printed out sheet with words on it. Like, okay, I'm going to make little, you know, pictures Mm. of the different, you know, musicians on the stage. And then you're going to, you know, put those on the board where they go and that that's going to work for you. And I think as, as, pastors in particular, you know, we're working with people all over the spectrum in terms of capacity, right? Um, we have this maybe expectation or hope that, you know, God, send me just these super high capacity people that we can just do a lot with. And I think God does that in some cases, but in a lot of cases, you look at especially the New Testament, Jesus really cares about broken people, people that from maybe a Western American perspective, don't have a lot of capacity per se, but they have a heart that says, right. I want to I want to serve God and and I want to offer what I have. And so mm-hmm. we've made that a huge priority at our church mm-hmm. to do that. And some of the fruit of that has been, I think, people feeling super fulfilled as Christians saying, Hey, I have something to offer mm-hmm. the kingdom and I'm gonna give it my best. And we're seeing that. Yeah. 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 It's um uh, that's that's a message I keep coming back to over and over and over again. Um, I worked, I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but we should probably have a a longer conversation about this at some point. But I, I worked at a group home for developmentally disabled people, mm. and um, and what I kept finding because I'd done so many years in ministry where we're trying to make disciples that make disciples right. or, or do, right. you know, like have a lasting impact for the kingdom. Yep. And as I'm yep. pouring into these guys, I'm like, they stay alone in their yep. house yeah. all day. Yep. 
unless unless we take them out, but they have a two to three year old mental capacity. Mm-hmm. Like the care and the love that I'm showing them is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's going to them, and that's all. And and there will never be a like they won't disciple other people in in the way that we know. Right. Um, so. I, I was wrestling for a long time, not with the idea, is this a waste, but but sort of feeling that impulse, you know? Yep. Um, and when you're talking about God seems to have a special care for, you know, the the broken or the or the outcasts or those mm-hmm. that are um, not well skilled, I, I keep thinking about that and I think there's there's some importance that Jesus has for for us to pour into people without yeah. a motive yep. at all. Yeah. Just because it's the right thing, because it's the best thing, because it's the important thing, and because God loves them too. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, David, for being here. This is super fun. Hey, we um, should just, like, it's too bad, David, you weren't the co-host, because it could be the David and David podcast. It's true. Well, we could just oust you. Uh, this what <laughs> you could just excommunicate him. Right? Him no, it's it's easy. It's easy. Just two thirds majority. We can do it right yeah. now. Well, I wonder if he'll. Will he still let us use his space? Probably. Right? I don't know. <laughs> his computer's light. We could just take it. Uh, <laughs> All right. Catch us. I mean, he's gimpy right now. So. It's true. It's true. All right. So for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. And I'm Josh. And we will see you next time. <laughs>